0: For this bonus episode, we were joined by Dr. Mike, who is a therapist, podcaster, and musician. I hope that you enjoy our chat. Well, hello. Welcome to Why Not Both.
1: Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having
0: me. Thank you for coming. Um how how has everything been going? My first interview question used to be like, "Hey, tell people what you do because you do a bunch of stuff," and now I'm just like, "How are you?" <laughs>
1: Okay. You know, this is uh this is a tough time, but I think uh all things being equal, I can't complain. Uh knock on wood. People in my life are healthy and uh I'm able to work, so I, I can't complain too much, but it does it does take a toll.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right before we started recording, we were talking about the the overzooming. <laughs> um. Even it's so funny. Did you ever Zoom prior to this? Like was Zoom a part of your life before this whole experience?
1: I don't think so. I didn't even know that they had Zoom before this. I don't think.
0: That's so funny. I I knew about it because some of my friends um, used it internationally because Skype would always kind of like glitch in and out. And they were like, oh, have you heard of this thing, Zoom? And I was like, no, what is that? And so I started using it. And before all this, I'd be like, oh, just hop on Zoom and people would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, Yeah, now it's a verb.
1: Zoom is a verb, indeed.
0: (laughs) Like Xerox. Exactly, exactly. What you mentioned, you're like, I can't complain. I've been doing work. And I'm curious, like, what have you been doing during this time and how has it changed?
1: So I, my primary job is as a clinical psychologist and uh, for some people, life coach. And that hasn't changed very much, except for the fact that I do everything virtual mm-hmm. now. Um, I I closed. I used to have offices in New York and New Jersey, but I closed both those physical spaces, and uh, I work totally remote now. Um, other than that, it's it's basically been the same. And then in the during the pandemic, my wife and I uh, started a um, an online both therapy and coaching program and and media site called Hardcore Humanism. And that is uh, in part the approach that we use for therapy and for helping people, which is based uh, on sort of a combination of humanistic psychology with some behavioral and behavioral medicine principles. And we also launched a podcast called Hardcore Humanism to basically to talk to people kind of like we're talking now about different aspects of their life and how at least from our perspective it reflects the hardcore humanism philosophy which is a more purpose-driven life Um, and we found that to a large degree interviewing musicians has been very helpful in that regard because the the main idea that we want people to do at least what I want people to do in when I'm working with them is a lot of times in life people will feel like everyone's telling them to go right but they feel like going left is better for them and they they want to find their purpose they want to work hard to achieve it and find a community to excuse me to support that purpose and all and and whatever the going left is, like sometimes that could mean coping with mental illness. Sometimes that could be being a musician instead of being a lawyer. Sometimes it could be being a lawyer instead of being a doctor. Sometimes it could be finding a passion that you're interested in. Sometimes it could be pursuing, uh, you know, somebody that you care about or love or building friendships, um, you know, kind of build your social network. And whatever it may be, we want people to feel empowered to do that. And Um, one of the things that that we found was that I had developed that um, through some experiences of myself doing a little bit of music on my own but then also later on uh, talking with different musicians and interviewing them and realizing that they tended to have that pattern Mm -hmm. because quite frankly most people are not necessarily like their parents aren't thinking, well, you know, what I, what I really want my kid to do is to become a professional musician. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, they often have to spend a lot of time when there's a lot of pressure for them to do something else to pursue that. They generally find a purpose in that music. They have to work excruciatingly hard, both in terms of practicing, songwriting, uh, touring, uh, promoting all of those things. And eventually, hopefully, whether it's fellow musicians, bandmates, uh, management, uh, or even just fans, like finding people who will support that dream. And so the goal of the podcast is really to just present as many people as possible, so that the people who are potentially fans of, of someone's music will listen and think like, well, I, I don't just enjoy their music. I, I kind of want to learn from their example. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that what we've, we basically, you know, do that. And to whatever extent it aids people in thinking that they may also want to, to pursue some kind of therapy or coaching either with us or with somebody else. And later on in the pandemic, we began working with uh, a website, Consequence of Sound and Consequence Media on a podcast called Going There. Which is a similar format where I interview musicians, but um, it's more focused on coping with mental illness. Mm. Um, so people who struggle with depression or addiction, and um, you know, it's it's so it's it's similar because in the in the Hardcore Humanism podcast we do have people who struggle with with mental health issues, and we do talk about that. But it's it's more of a, a personal development podcast in general, not specifically mental illness. And so, you know, I guess it was a long-winded way of saying, what have I been doing? You know, I've been doing what I was doing before, plus a little extra, I guess.
0: <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, so many questions sparked in my brain. Um, I was like, where to begin? Uh, I guess the first question would be, how would you break down in bite-sized chunks, what humanistic psychology is to a layperson, to someone who has not studied psychology, and why did you choose the modifier "hardcore" for hardcore humanism?
1: So, I think that this is all my opinion. I think people would maybe disagree on my my assessment, but I think that one of the things that I've found a little bit frustrating at times about my field is that it often feels as though whether intentionally or not, we, we tend to pathologize people. So there's a lot of language of unconscious conflict or cognitive distortions or irrational thinking or behavior or, you know, um, biological, you know, biochemical abnormalities. Like there's just every, there's a lot of language in that, in that, vain in terms of when it's sort of a lot of what what is wrong with people. Mm-hmm. And the idea is like well if some if you're not feeling in a certain way, if you're not feeling happy or satisfied that there there must be something wrong that's that's broken and and we're going to try to fix it. And on the one hand sometimes that's that's kind of appealing to people because they think they they feel you know people think of themselves as broken in some ways and they want they want to feel better. But for a lot of people, that language and that approach is kind of invalidating. And I, I found that it, at least for me personally, when I, when I practiced, it didn't work as well, because I found that for the most part, people's issues tend to be very much based in reality mm-hmm. um, and tends to be very, I don't, I don't see a lot of what I would consider truly irrational or distorted behavior. I see a lot of people who feel like they're kind of, stuck in the weeds and need to figure out a way out. And I think that humanistic psychology was different in the sense that we don't have to necessarily change people. What we have to do is we have to clear the way so people can find their authentic self. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that, to me, that, you know, the concept of um, what I I believe Carl Rogers, who did Rogerian therapy, talked about as unconditional positive regard, the fact that all people... Have value and have worth, and our job as therapists is to figure out how to clear the way so that they can find that person. And with uh, you know theorists like you know like Maslow, like the idea of then helping people actualize and find their best selves. Right. And so the that's that just sort of became naturally what I found appealed to me more. And I found that at least for me personally, as a, as a therapist, it seemed to be working better mm-hmm. when I was able to convey that or I was able to do that with people as opposed to when I wasn't, when I was more judgmental or I was more critical, where I was more um, maybe judgy, if you will. It did not work as well. Got it. And so over time, I kind of, I kind of evolved into that more. And I think that in particular people finding purpose is something that, in my opinion, is very much a key to self-actualization, to kind of understand why are we here? What are we doing? Because, you know, quite frankly, a lot of the things that we have to do in life don't feel great. You know, a lot of people talk about like, oh, it feels so good to be healthy. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. Everything (laughs) that's, everything that feels good, for the most part, is unhealthy. You know, feeling healthy feels good. Right, but you know, but a lot of the things like eating healthy, like exercising a lot, not drinking, not using substances, um, you know, make sure you go to bed on time. You know, it's it's these are these are things that they eventually can feel good, but a lot of it are are, are things that actually don't feel good at the time. But if you can understand why they're fitting into your greater purpose, like I'm going to bed because you know, I'm training for a marathon and I want to get up early in the morning and Mm -hmm. I want to do those 10 miles and I'm excited about that. Well, now all of a sudden that sacrifice actually connects into something bigger in your own life. And potentially, you know, it's it's something that people with AA or recovery programs, the idea of a higher power. Mm -hmm. Well, this isn't necessarily a higher power in that way. It's almost like your own personal higher power. Yeah, And, and I think that that to me, that's that's the humanism part. So mm-hmm. the hardcore part um, is comes from two places. Um, one, it's a it's a little bit of a nod to a hardcore punk. So um, one of the people that I'd interviewed for Psychology Today, someone who who's always influenced me quite a bit, was Ian MacKay of the band Minor Threat, um, and eventually Fugazi, mm-hmm. who from what i understand uh gave the label hardcore punk the idea was well if you're going to be punk rock we're going to be more punk yeah. we're going to be faster we're going to be more independent we're going to be uh more confrontational and so we'll be hardcore punk and so the idea was if 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 you're humanistic we're you know we're going to be we're going to be more humanistic we're going to be more empathic. We're going to be more validating. We're going to be more understanding, and in particular, we're going to help you work harder to actualize. Um, you know, so that that's where a lot of the behavioral and the behavioral medicine techniques come in, mm. where we we don't just want you to feel like, hey, you're authentic. We want to be like, well, if you have a purpose, we want to help you get it. Yeah, you know, we just yeah. want to help you on the path to getting it. So that was where that part came from. But the other the other part of it came. Um when when I was um in my in my 30s, I um had basically I think I I babbled to a friend of mine that I just wanted if I had a bucket list, I wanted to be able to sing in a in a band at one point. I I had a friend who um took me to see her, her friend's band, and I think that they were a cover band and they did like a Pearl Jam cover song and I thought that was really cool and I said I just I just want to I want to try to do that once in my life yes and I I I went and auditioned for um for a band that I just for reasons that I'm not really sure on I thought they were all like me they didn't really know what they were doing but I I because I I don't I can't sing and so I I just I just kind of assumed that nobody else for some reason that maybe they couldn't play their instruments either. But when I when I went in, I realized that they were uh, like they sounded at least to me like a real band. Um, And I was so upset and embarrassed. And I actually um, recently interviewed uh, Carl Bell Fuel. The, The first song that I that I tried to sing was Hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. which was a song that I really liked. And I actually told him that story. And the drummer just looked so disgusted that I, I realized that this wasn't going very well. And they asked me to to just sing along as they jammed. And I didn't know any. I, I was like, I, I'm totally like out of my league here. And so what happened was I started towards the end of the, about after a half hour or so, mm-hmm. I got so upset that I actually just started screaming into the microphone. And I I left and like a nerd that I am, I, I wrote a um, I wrote a thank you note to the to the person who invited me to the audition and they called me up and they said, well, you know, we we're going to do an alternative band. But with your voice, like I was thinking maybe like a thrash or a hardcore band would make more sense. And I just I just said, I, I'm I'm so sorry. Like, I actually don't know what those words mean, uh-huh. like what. like a thrash hardcore band like is this some kind of like blood porn or something I I, honestly like like what's
0: happening here (laughs) yeah and I was just like I
1: I was like I was just kind of like to be honest I, I think you're just making up words yeah and so so then when I when I I heard some of it and I was like oh this this does sound actually a little bit more like me and and then when we we played uh for about 10 years in a band together and what was interesting was that There were these people that um, I had grown up with who were into metal and were into punk or alternative in in some ways, and they were all black and they had makeup on or they they had these crazy T-shirts that said things like Iron Maiden or like Black Sabbath or, you know, and it was and the piercings. And, they you know, to be honest, like they were somewhat frightening to me. And I just it wasn't the world that I was in. And then um, when I stepped into that world and I started dressing more like that, um, I found two things that happened. One was that the world, a lot of the world wasn't very kind about it. Um, A lot of people were, it almost felt like my world separated into two groups where it was like people who either were just supportive because I was doing something different or actually liked what we were doing. And then people who were kind of like, Oh my god! Like, what are you like?
0: What are you doing? You're
1: dressing all in black, and you're like, you already shaved your head, and you're like, you're you're screaming, and you're writhing around on the floor, and it was just, and are you are you okay emotionally? And yeah. and and the thing was was that I had actually never felt better, quite frankly. Right. And um, what I soon found was that all of these people who I had sort of dismissed, as I think much of society has, as being. Something between a ne'er-do-well and dangerous were actually the people who were um, particularly open-minded, particularly kind, particularly talking about in their music and in their lives issues that other people wouldn't touch. So, you know, any anything from, you know, if you want to, you know, anything from Black Sabbath's War Pigs to Ozzy's Crazy Train to, you know, and you know, on and on and on to Mark, you know, Mark Greenway of Napalm Death. And it's just all of these, the whole hardcore movement in Mackay. And so what happened was that I had discovered that all of a sudden these were people that were very humanistic, quite frankly.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: later on, I had started for, um, for popular press, I had started interviewing people and musicians. And I just started to find that more and more that I learned about those subcultures, in addition to playing or being involved with them, just from my own musical perspective, the more I just discovered that that's been part of it all along. I just didn't know. And so the hardcore humanism was also a nod to whether or not it was hardcore or metal or hip hop, like these these subgenres that have been to some degree labeled as dangerous. I wanted to kind of give a nod to the humanistic element of them. So it was sort of the humanism of hardcore. I couldn't call it metal humanism, hip-hop humanism. So I just felt right. hardcore humanism. Right. Was, I, had to, I had to have one name basically. So it was yeah. and so and so that was really the other the other piece of it was that I wanted people, at least to whatever extent anyone was paying attention, to recognize that that I saw something in this world. And and what I what I felt like was you know, I, to be honest, I don't think I'm, I'm all that relevant to that world in in terms of any kind of centrality to it, but for anyone who was paying attention, I think that to realize that I had, I had not been in that world.
0: Mm -hmm. I had,
1: I had studied psychology and in theory, like I'm supposed to be this person who's, you know, working on health and well being and all that kind of stuff and knows how to feel good and all that kind of stuff. But I was not necessarily, I found it in this world. And they kind of took me beyond where I would have imagined going in terms of thinking about the world and thinking about human nature and, and thinking about the things that are that are both right and wrong. And, and, and that to me was just my little, you know, I just wanted to kind of say there's a humanistic element to this that if anyone's interested and you can just pay attention. And maybe you'll find, maybe like me, you'll find something that you didn't expect to find.
0: That's fascinating that you noted that it appeared dangerous to be open-minded and actualized, that we perceive that as danger in a way.
1: Well, I think at the original time, I don't, I, I think I was just looking at people's appearance and the fact that the music was so intense.
0: Yeah. but.
1: But later, I think it's, it's interesting that you, that you say that because what I found was that people, whether or not, um, you know, anything from, again, just being willing to say you have a mental illness to people who are coming out as gay or transitioning in terms of gender or willing to, you know, get out of an abusive relationship, it's, it's just what you said, you know, that, that open-mindedness, that willingness to do something different is very, is very frightening. And I think what a lot of people find is that being themselves authentically just simply does not work in their world. Um, And there's a lot of, there's a lot of damage that gets done to people, unfortunately, when they're in situations that don't foster that sense of openness, don't foster that sense of authenticity, and and perhaps even reject people, you know, because of that. And I think you see a lot of that in, uh, not as much anymore, but when I was growing up, you know, people who would wear, you know, metal out, you know, like something like, you know, long hair with a, a denim jacket and, you know, kind of stereotypical, like metal head could, would talk about getting beaten up. People who were in hardcore would get, would get beaten up all the time. Yeah. Um, at least by that, I was, you know, at least by their own report. And so I, You know, that that's why I think that a lot of people from those worlds, um, from my perspective, have a lot more to say about uh, therapy and, and, you know, just sort of human development than they're given credit for. Although I will say this, that they are given credit by their fans because a lot of people will say, well, music saved my life.
0: Right.
1: You know, for everyone that's got a therapist saved their life, there's probably 10 people that say that music has saved their life. And there's a reason for that. You know, a lot of, there's just something about it that we connect to. Um, but I, I even find that with other, with with actors or athletes. I mean, I think there's all different versions of that, but um, you know, music's always been special to me. So I think I, I kind of keyed in on that yeah. for that reason.
0: Well, in some ways it seems like it's almost threatening to some people Uh, when others find their purpose and i was mulling over i was like do people fear that they're not actualizing do they fear that maybe if they haven't found their purpose if someone else does that they're just like well i want that and i don't have it so i'll just be mad at them
1: (laughs) (laughs) i I think one of the things that i think one of the things that's happened is that a a purpose-driven individual is is harder to control and i think is harder to um it's in some ways, I think, excuse me, it's, it's. I think a lot of people fear disconnection. And I think, unfortunately, one, one of the things that's tough is that what a lot of people don't realize is that you, if you'd allow someone to be their authentic selves, the connection you probably have will be a lot better mm-hmm. and a lot deeper and a lot more meaningful. But there's also a risk that somebody, that that they're just, you know, people won't connect as much, whether that's parents to kids or, or spouses or friends or uh, even, even, even within music, you know, there's a lot of times musicians will talk about, you know, quote unquote, like going solo because they want to, you know, they don't feel like their artistic vision is expressed in a, in a band, you know. And so I think that it's a lot of people, I think, are just afraid. I, I, to be honest, I, th- I think the biggest thing is that people are just afraid of losing that yeah. person in some way. And it's it's frightening, especially if the person's important to you. And so sometimes I think we do things that are unfortunately damaging to the people we love just because we don't want to lose them.
0: Yeah. And in a way, kind of internalizing that in ourselves, like I enjoyed that you said that you interviewed musicians so that their fans hear about what they went through to kind of summon, summon the strength to kind of go against maybe what the dominant narrative is in society of what you should be. Um, because yeah, like it is constantly a struggle because do you find that at all? Like being someone in multiple fields, do you ever have a voice in your head? That's like, Oh, why are you doing this thing? I thought you were doing that other thing. Aren't you supposed to do this one thing?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, I, I think one thing that's positive now is that I think there are fewer people who would say that. Um, but I still think, yeah, that that's predominant, but I, but I think that one of the really nice things that's happening now on a societal level is you're, you're seeing more and more people appreciating the multi-dimensional nature of human beings and, and, and not feeling as though they, they have to reject something just because they don't understand it or that they even have to understand it. You know, like so. It's like I don't, you know, like I, I don't know why you are, you know, someone's really into playing guitar, but then is also super into math. Like, but I think there's a lot of people, you know, like in the math metal world that would actually like, you know, <laughs> play. Actually, it makes total sense, you know. And so, you know, hopefully, hopefully, as time goes on, you, you know, those, those those boundaries will be broken. I think that people will feel more as, as there are more examples out there of people living more authentically, and then people can learn about them. They can say, Oh, I can do X and Y, you know, I can, I, these, this is not a dichotomy. This is only a dichotomy in other people's eyes, but this is me, whatever, whatever me happens to be.
0: Right. And especially as we see more expressions of that, because if you don't see examples of it, it's hard to like, kind of imagine yourself in that position if you don't see someone else doing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, a lot of times what, you know, they'll say sometimes with adolescents, they just need one thing to kind of grab onto that, that they can believe in. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's people who they don't know it's musicians, it's actors, it's, it's athletes, Um, you know someone who is doing something that that they can that the only thing they know for sure is that it matters to them you know like I I I couldn't really explain to you why music matters to me I just know that since I was a kid I know that as soon as I started hearing music and I had any control over listening to it like I would put on my parents records or whatever Mm -hmm. I knew that it was something that that matter to me and just the ability to feel like you're connected to something, even for a little bit of time, I think can be very valuable to people, especially when they feel disconnected in other ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And that when you were talking about purpose, a few things went through my mind. Like first was like Viktor Frankl's book, like man search for meaning that it's like, without that sense of purpose in the story of our lives, we just, we perish. and so it's important to have kind of like your own through thread, um, whatever that may be. But then I, yeah. would, that through thread doesn't have to always be to one singular purpose. Like if your purpose, if you feel that music is what connects you, it sounds like then that thread got interwoven into psychology and then into podcasting and then into coaching and then into like, like it it is a theme that's running through there. But it's not like only focused on music.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, and I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm gonna butcher Franco, so I might run, you know, I might <laughs> into a little trouble here. But one of one of the things that I've always tried to encourage people to make the distinction between is meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, meaning is something like, for example, a lot of a lot of uh, the more meaning based therapies are are done in people who are um, who are in hospice from something like cancer. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, it's, it's wonderful in that circumstance for people to be able to kind of make sense of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially during times when they may not be able to make other changes. Um, but to me, meaning has always been sort of a more, it's active in the sense that it's thought wise active, but it's often retrospective in a way, it's kind of like taking where you are and finding meaning in it. Mm. And for me, and this again, this may be an artificial distinction. I'm certainly, I, I don't know Frankl's work well enough to know whether or not that was a distinction that they made. But the, that he made was, but but to me, purpose is more uh, is more action oriented. It's more organizing, moving forward. Gotcha. And so, you know, I think it's great to find meaning in things after the fact. But I think it's, if, if there's a possibility, I think it's even more powerful to find purpose moving forward because that can help you orient. And again, this, this may be a, an artificial distinction that I only, I'm the only one who makes in my head, but, <laughs> but whenever I hear people talk about meaning or see the effectiveness of meaning-based therapies, it makes sense to me where it's effective. And I do, And I do think from what I've seen, it's very promising. Yeah. approach but it it the, the part yeah that I would just kind of encourage people is meaning is wonderful but purpose is a is 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 a little bit more um I think I think you could potentially do more with that if you if you put your your purpose into action effectively mm.
0: that's fascinating as a person who uh I experienced time blindness pretty much mm. so <laughs> so I'm just like well. The present moment and here we are (laughs) yeah I hadn't conceptualized meaning as almost like retrospective and purpose-driven as uh future facing
1: well yeah I'm sorry I'm sorry I interrupted
0: you um I was just like that is my conversational style do not fret (laughs) yeah like I find that I guess in in the simplest of terms, I get my dopamine during the process. So if the process is not meaningful, I'm not invested in it. Like if I don't have a story of why it's interesting, like because the purpose like does exist in my mind, but it's a bit it's a bit foggy. I don't quite know where it is. It's not like my spatial abilities, which are great, um, my time abilities are a little hazy and so if i'm thinking only for instance for a long term goal i might not actually be motivated to do something because my brain's not going to chain those things together
1: yeah and i think i think the way that that i see it and if you if you look at almost anything anyone does you know take take this podcast as an example right yeah. or you know like let's say people who are interested in religion you know or meditation or exercise or school or or really anything that um, that we use as some kind of purpose-driven journey what it what it usually involves is at the beginning taking some kind of big picture view of something that you have decided matters to you or is going to be helpful for you and setting up the structure of how you would pursue that but once you've done that it's more about being in the moment. Yeah. So for example, like if you're, if you're at school and let's say that you want to be a medical doctor, it's great for you to, when you're in high school, be like, okay, so let me, I want to, you know, really take science classes and I want to go someplace where they have a strong, maybe it's pre-med, I have a strong science program so that I can do well for the MCATs, whatever. And I want to apply to school. And then I want to apply to med school. Each of these times you're, 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 kind of being a part of this bigger program, but it's not going to work if every time you're studying for a test, you're like, Oh my God, if I don't do well on this, I'm going to, I have to be a doctor. I have to be a doctor. Like
0: you have to,
1: you have to be in the moment, but the, those two things to me work very synergistically, like the structure protects the moment. Right. So the purpose driven structure, knowing that like, so, so for both you and I, we both have podcasts. So like we, we are, have decided at some point that there's something about the the overall structure of a podcast and the purpose of a podcast that matters to us. Once that's protected in our minds, once that's settled, and we've set up how we're going to do it, now we can just go about the nitty gritty of doing the podcast. Do
0: think? Um,
1: I think if you have one one but not the other, you know. So, for example, like I I think it's great to move, but if you're if all you're caring about is movement that's one thing but if you want to have like results from a health perspective right it's important to at least take a little bit of time to figure out like okay what are you like you so say there's movement there's eating you know but then at some point you want it to be try, kind of more intuitive and kind of more more natural mm-hmm. and try to connect with yourself but if you have all forward thinking and nothing in the moment like you said it's not going to work but if you have nothing forward thinking everything's just in the moment like it might and some people you know like for some people that works I I always get frustrated when people talk like I feel like sometimes people in my field will talk about being in the moment like it kind of takes it too far because it's sort of like you know it's like there are people who who have and I'm not thinking of anyone specifically just just to be clear like you know like like who have studied and learn meditation and set up a whole program and like it has it has and you pay for it and there are lessons or whatever and then it's like okay now all we have to do is just be in the moment don't think about the future it's like but in order to get to that point you had to think a lot beyond the moment right to get to that point to be in the moment and and I, I sometimes I feel like it gets lost in the translation when people are explaining that like being mindful and being in being present is not something that has to be antithetical to because forward, as human beings, we have the ability. That's one of the advantages that we have in theory in the animal kingdom is that we have forward thinking abilities.
0: Metacognition. It's great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so you don't want to say that like, oh, well, forward thinking is not in the moment because that's part of my moment, like part of my moment when I'm with my kids is thinking about their future. Like that's, that's, a, that's in the moment for me. And people can say, well, no, you have to be in the moment. It's like, yeah, thanks. But you know, if you don't mind, I'll, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to worry about my kid a little bit, you know, and <laughs> you can either either worry about your kid or not, but it, well, this is my kid. So I'm actually thinking about whether or not they have food for next week.
0: Oh you my know? That's uh, so, I appreciate that on behalf of your kids. I'm like, snacks are important
1: yeah (laughs) snacks snacks are so important
0: it's that fine line between do i hate everything or am i just hungry
1: (laughs) there's there's no fine line snacks are important period (laughs) exclamation point
0: you're like that is the
1: end of (laughs) end of discussion i'm open-minded about everything but not that
0: but not about that how about
1: snacks (laughs)
0: I was about to ask, like, how would you define your purpose? I'm like, maybe your purpose is snacks. Um, <laughs> I was like, overall, like, how would you define the purpose that you bring or the purpose that you're seeking in these different activities, especially during this time?
1: Well, the, the, the way that I try to encourage people to think about it is not that there's like one singular purpose as much as there's a series of you know of different aspects of a purpose. And so the, the way that I'll and then sometimes there are sort of tenets or general themes that that run through all of them. So for example like in 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 some martial arts training like when I trained in taekwondo there was there was sort of the tenets of taekwondo, you know, that like things like courtesy and integrity and perseverance that you might carry through all of the things that you're doing but As an example, like I, the way that I like to encourage people to do it is just start with what it is that you notice makes you either happy, sad, fulfilled, empty, angry, you know, whatever, and just notice what those things are, you know what I mean? So for example, if it bothers you that you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you have high blood pressure or you have high blood sugar then it's almost like the way that I would kind of look at it. It's almost like an entrepreneur who's kind of like saying, well, like, let's open up, let's open up a project here. Like if some people like working for a company that sells stuff, it's like, well, let's, let's open up a project here about how we can make, you know, this product and it could address these needs, you know, so let's open up a health folder, you know, a little bit. If, if health matters enough to you that what the doctor says bothers you, Right. then let's sort of look at it as something that might be important for you all the way through. So what we always say to people is you want your ambitions and your actions and your evaluations to all line up. So in other words like if you want something like you want to be healthy, right. you want your actions to do that and then your how you evaluate yourself then is is based on that ambition. And so sometimes people will will not go through that whole process and so they'll say, well I started out wanting to be healthy but then and I, I, I ate healthy and I moved around a little bit but now I'm evaluating myself based on how much I weigh only. And if I'm not thin then I'm not happy. It's like, well wait, you didn't start with thin right You started with he- you started with healthy right and you, you, your actions were healthy, but now you're evaluating yourself based on thin. And I'm not judging one way or another, whether or not that's appropriate or inappropriate goal, but, but, but that's when, when I think about purpose, I think about in all areas of your life, um, basically. So usually there's about four things. There's like being productive in some ways. So like having, uh, some, for some people that's having a career for some people that's doing things in their house there's sometimes helping the community whatever it is that's kind of like a product that's productive action
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it could be multiple things that's one type of purpose then there's usually connection to other people and that could be romantic that could be friends that could be being part of a broader community and those are all parts of one's purpose and then there's usually like a health and wellness like how do you want to feel sometimes for people it's how they want to look it's how they want to live longer, you know, there's that whole thing. And then sometimes there's like a other, like a passion or an interest or something like that. And, you know, I just encourage people to say, like, just have as many different aspects to your purpose as possible. And then think about, well, what would the actions be and how would you evaluate it? And then figure out how does this all fit into one life? And that's where it can get very complicated for people. So for example, like if all I cared about was, was, was productive, like professional actions, I would work 90, 100 hours a week. I would not sleep very much. I would, you know, I mean, I would sleep enough to be able to be coherent, but, right. um, and, that, and I might really see my professional, you know, achievements soar, but I also have personal goals. I also have health goals. I also have things I'm passionate about. So now all of a sudden I have to start figuring out like, how do I balance all those things? Yeah. But what I encourage people to do is to, is to figure that out in theory ahead of time and look at like their daily and weekly and monthly schedules and think like, well, if you want to be healthy and you do the following things within reason, would, would you be healthy? And if the answer is yes, be like, okay, that's good. Now you want to have romantic relationships or you want to foster a marriage or something like that. It's like, okay, well, what do you have to do for that? Right. And they start putting all those things together and then you start seeing like, Oh, uh, do I have time for all of this? And what has to, what has to be pulled back a little bit? How do I adjust, you know, certain sense of purpose and certain ambitions? And that's where I think, again, a lot of people will struggle because, um, they, they want it all. They don't really think ahead of time that they can't get it all. And then they judge themselves because they don't have it all. Right. right. And that's, that's where it gets kind of ugly emotionally.
0: Well, and how did you find you balanced all of those things during this time, particularly when you said like, especially with the change with doing all of this from home and with balancing all the things you do, like, how did you kind of troubleshoot that for yourself in this situation?
1: Oh, I didn't. I I I <laughs> went like I. I mean, I'm I'm I and you know and that's something I'm honest with people about. Like they, you know, um, I'll I the the a purpose driven life is not a linear life. Um, oftentimes, and you know, I was very happy because I was able to be at home. I wasn't commuting three hours a day anymore, and that was that was that was wonderful. Um, but, um, and I was also very, I was happy as you see my wife more. I see my kids more. Um, I was very happy that my, you know, my wife and I launched hardcore humanism together. And I was very very thrilled with that. I was thrilled we were doing a podcast. Um, and I was thrilled We got, we got invited to do another podcast and I was not thrilled with, I mean, I, I think a lot of people were suffering emotionally, but you know, I was glad that I was able to help in terms of my, you know, from a business perspective, like I, I enjoy working with people. Um, and all of that was going wonderfully. But then one day I just all of a sudden realized that I was working all the time. I was never going, I mean, I, I wouldn't go outside for days. Yeah. Um, and I was not, I was not being healthy, you know. I was definitely eating, too, you know, too many bad foods and not uh, moving around as much, not getting outside as much, not resting enough, not sleeping mm-hmm. enough, and so um, that was to me was a perfect example of where all of the things in my life, for the most part, that mattered to me really uh, were firing on all cylinders in a way that they hadn't before in in a good way. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd, I'd spent, you know, 15 years not commuting, in, you know, to, into work. I just, this was like, this was a dream come true. And I just kept shoving more and more things that I wanted to do.
0: Yeah.
1: And I just, I, I've always, um, I've always been willing to sacrifice my health and well-being to do certain things. But I, when I was younger, I could kind of get away with it but I'm older now and I, I can't. And that I needed a couple of months ago to sort of just be like, Whoa, like something's gotta, gotta change. And so the, the way that I kind of try to keep it all together is I try to keep in mind all. And sometimes like for me, like I have a, like I have a, I have like a list of the things that are my purpose of what I have to do And sometimes I'm better with really paying attention to it every day. And sometimes I lose track. And sometimes, quite frankly, when I lose track is, and this is, you know, a lot of people who I've worked with who talk about uh, drug and alcohol use will talk about it this way, which is that for some people, drug and alcohol use comes from a very dark place. But there's a lot of people that the dark place emerges because people are just really enjoying their lives. Like a lot of musicians have talked about, like we are partying and it was so much fun. And then just one day you wake up and you're like, Oh, you know, a beer in the morning would feel a little bit better, right. you know? And that wasn't a bad thing. Like you're having an amazing time. Like you're out on the road, like this is great. And all of a sudden you just, you're just, I don't know how I wandered into this. And that was not, obviously I don't want to compare, you know, what I went through to somebody who was struggling with addiction, but it, it was, it was similar in the way that it was kind of a blind side.
0: Yeah. You know, it was kind of like flight into productivity. Like you're using that productivity in a way, like you're describing like a drug or alcohol that you're like, well, it makes me feel good. So I guess I'll do a little more of this.
1: And it, well, it was, it was, I think that it, it was just more, it was, you know, and I also think like it was a little bit tough. I think something I didn't give a lot of credit for was uh, things that I like the to do. So for example, um, I like, do, I, you know, up until the pandemic, I like doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, that was something that I had I'd found a school that I really liked here. And I've been training for a while. And um, I, you know, I would take my kids um, in New York, uh, there's uh, a seven, which is now Niagara, um, had these, uh, these Sunday matinee shows that were all ages. For hard hardcore punk shows, and you know, I, I would take I would take my kids, and and we would go, and um, it, it was it was great because it was like people were there, and it was just it was wild, and it was crazy, everything that you want, you know, from those experiences, and the, and you know, uh, my son I originally brought, and my daughter I brought to ones later uh, actually outdoor ones for the pandemic, and it was, it was wonderful. And all of a sudden those were two things that I didn't feel comfortable doing anymore. And so all of a sudden, like two of, you know, I, I had these other things, like I was home more, which was great. And I had these things that I was doing, but I didn't kind of pay attention to the fact that there were these other things that I really loved doing that, right. that I just wasn't doing. I was kind of like, Oh, I'll, I'll get back to them and whatever. And,
0: right. and I hope, I hope I will
1: at some point, but it, it's, it, you know, that's why I try to explain to people is that, you know, the stuff can be, it can sneak up on you. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, I think that's why it's, it's wonderful. Excuse me. It's what, you know, it's wonderful to have purpose, but you have to look at all of the different you know, aspects of your purpose and you just sort of pay attention. Like some people, when they're working all the time, actually it works out great. You know, they're not as concerned with relationships and not as concerned with their health. And it's like, great. But you know, I wanted, uh, all those things. And, and I had to, I had to adjust myself accordingly.
0: Yeah. This feels very spy versus spy. Cause like I'm a licensed MFT. And so I've been doing the same thing during the pandemic as you. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, Oh yes, I get this vibe. Um, but finding someone who understands your blind spots is so key because even if you have all the knowledge I'll never forget one of my partners said to me something really funny that I had had like a fear response to something and I recognized I was having a fear response and was doing things to calm myself down and he's like well why if you know what's happening like why if you understand it are you still having this reaction and I was like well, I still live in a human body like <laughs> I was like <laughs> sadly I I have not been able to escape the meat suit <laughs> so <laughs> I <it> was like
1: <laughs> it was only that easy
0: Right, I was just like, so sadly, my cognitive abilities are useless right now, so we're just doing a good like calming of the vagus nerve and apply four three two one. I was like, we'll get out of this, we know what it is. <laughs> um, but it was really interesting that he was like, and he re- and he wasn't saying it to be offensive. he was saying out of genuine curiosity, if you understand what's going on, like why can't you like get yourself out of this? Um, mm-hmm. And so I found at least that it's so important to have people in that role in my life, because I, I find that potentially people in our fields can have, um, accidental self myopia, I guess.
1: (laughs) Well said. Well, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's, I think it, it's one of the places where we're most myopic is like, you would never say to somebody, well, you know, you have diabetes, so why don't you have it under control? It's like, well, you know, it's like, yeah, I know I have diabetes, which means I know that there are certain things that I need to do or can't do in order to manage that. And that's the way it is with anxiety. That's the way it is with depression. That's the way it is with addiction. And I think as a society, it's, it's still hard for us. And I think some of it comes down to the language because, you know, being, you know, being depressed is not having depression, being anxious is not having an anxiety disorder. And, you know, being obsessive is not having OCD. And I think part of the language is that I, I think, um, while I do think that there's a continuum in a lot of ways, I think that there's a, there's a you know, like, yeah, you, you can, if you're a little bit sad, kind of snap out of it. If you decide that that's what you want to do, I, I don't really recommend that, nor do I really endorse that in people because I think we should listen to ourselves. Same. Um, but you know so when you're like someone says that to you it's like why don't you if you understand it it's like yeah understanding it's the beginning
0: right that's it's, the... Not,
1: it's not the end <laughs> like,
0: yeah. exactly exactly and it's fascinating to me that you turn to musicians in a way to teach these lessons like as a fellow musician myself as well um, and that also both of us have chosen to in a way go into what one would say is like different career path than music however I've always advocated that whether you choose a career path that's in the art that you are passionate about that doesn't invalidate then your passion for the art I've always found it really odd that we have to like monetize or make something like that you're like oh you're not actually interested in this if it's not your quote job
1: yeah I mean that was actually one of the um, one of the the books that really influenced me a lot was American Hardcore by Stephen Blush and one of the things that he talked about and I've talked with him a couple of times is that um, part of what hardcore punk was about was by redefining success in non-monetary terms.
0: Right. And
1: I think that a lot of the, the more of the subcultures as opposed to more mainstream culture by, by definition, mainstream culture is, is defined by mainstream acceptance. And, and typically with that comes a certain amount of, mainstream success. And, and if you're lucky, mainstream money. But I think that uh, I agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't think uh, it's, it's, it's necessary, in fact, to have a passion. So in fact, for some people, they would say that disconnecting your art from uh, a financial need is actually a more powerful way of making sure that it, it stays authentic for you. Yeah. I, I I understand that there are some people that, and I, I would not count myself among those who are for, for lack of a better way of saying it's so gifted with both like bursting ideas and like the ability to pursue those ideas mm-hmm. that it becomes almost a kind of thing where I just can't do anything else. Like I really just need to do this. Yeah. And I think that's where I think a lot of our, the people who we see out in the world are like that. Yeah. Um, and if that's you, then that's quite frankly, that's a little bit different and a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Um, but if at some point you feel like it's not bursting out of you in that way, where you actually have room and space for other things, I, I, I'm i not saying that people should necessarily get a quote unquote day job, but I, I would just look to the examples of some people In hardcore hip hop or other, you know, there's a lot of people who are even prominent artists now who have side gigs that they do, you know, that that still make very important art. And so I would just, uh, you know, just realize, like, again, there's there's all kinds of ways of pursuing your various passions. You don't have to do it in one way.
0: Yes. I'm all about kind of breaking down in a way like the archetype of an artist that it's like, you must be monofocused. You must suffer. Like all these things. I'm like, do you though? <laughs> a lot of people do. <laughs> I was like, we all kind of suffer anyway. <laughs> like, do, yeah. you, do You got to go extra hard just to be an artist? <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> a lot of the times, I think, unfortunately.
0: They're like, yeah. Sometimes it's yeah. monofocus is fascinating to me because I've zero uh, percent understood it throughout my life personally, and so I've always had this like I'm really passionate about these seven things, and people are like the seven things, but like, yeah, yeah, all seven of them. <laughs> like we are going, <laughs> we're going into all of them, um, and having examples of people both who are monofocused, but also who do passionately pursue, say, the seven things.
1: Yeah. yeah. And one of one of the examples from when I was growing up that I I always point to with my with the people I'm working with is um is Eddie Murphy. You know, when Eddie Murphy came out and he was doing, you know, stand-up and he did SNL and then he did movies and all of a sudden he started he came out with party all the time. He started doing music. And I think he received a lot of Uh, even though I I think it's a great song Rick James is involved I think the song was great and it stood the test of time as far as I'm concerned but a lot of people were kind of like oh this is a this is a like a um, uh, what's that they call it Uh, what's that like an ego project or something there's a term for it now I'm forgetting what it is a vanity a vanity project and and you know and he, he did that he did a few other things but then you know, if you sort of notice, like I, I think that his ability to be a, a musician on his own was what set him up for. I think it was was it Dreamgirls where he won his, his Golden Globe. Is really? um, that the was that the name of the movie?
0: I know that was the name of the movie, but I don't remember if that was.
1: It was my brain well, well, the, well, the one with Jamie? It was the one with Jamie Foxx and Beyonce. And, oh. I don't know.
0: I'm like, I have zero idea if those things are related, but I'm also willing to completely believe you.
1: Awesome. <laughs> I'm just going to look this up.
0: It's one of those things where I'm like, I could Google it. Um,
1: I'm going to do that right now. It is, it was Dreamgirls and and he won a Golden Globe. And, you know, you saw his like his James Brown or his Michael Jackson impressions. And, and you know, you, you saw something where throughout, And obviously this is all in entertainment and and whatever. So some people would say it's not that, but that's a perfect example of where there's somebody who, even with being an open creative person, even with being successful, there were a lot of people like, why are you doing that? Like, it doesn't make any sense, but I would definitely, and and in his case, I think it worked out great because it was his greatest acting moment based, you know, some people would say, Mm -hmm. and, and it got him a lot of praise. And I, I think, you know, that was, what like thirty years later or forty years later like or something like that? Um, maybe thirty years later, and it was. And I would just encourage people to say like, look, if you have like you're saying, multiple things that you're interested in, don't don't judge it. You know, like pe- people like we don't have we don't have. Um, I, I, I remember my 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 uh, jujitsu teacher said something. He said when you when you see two white belts rolling it looks like they're having an argument. When you see two black belts rolling, it looks like they're having a conversation. Mm. And I feel like that's kind of what happens with people. It's like we have arguments with ourselves. We have beat downs with ourselves. We don't have conversations with ourselves. And, and, you know, we're not curious, we're critical.
0: Yeah, And
1: it's just kind of like, you know, if you have something that seems a little bit like you can't pick it together, just be like, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Like, I wonder why I'm interested in that. I wonder why that's something I'm spending my time doing instead of this and
0: yeah just
1: kind of talk to yourself and listen to yourself rather than judge yourself. You'd be, I think you'd be surprised at like where you might wind up.
0: I think that's fantastic advice to so just remain curious.
1: No. Thank you
0: <laughs> Thank you for being so generous with your time today. I really appreciated talking to you.
1: Thank you for having me on. I appreciate what you're doing and this is great and I, I appreciate the conversation.
0: Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the Podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>